Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we're building an entire campaign for the Fallout role-playing game, and we're doing it from scratch. If you're still in need of a copy of the rules, head over to your local game shop or bookstore, or hit up the Modifius Entertainment website, M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S dot net. Before we get into this week's build, I wanted to hit on a couple of notes I've gotten over the past couple of weeks. I got a couple of notes this week about our episode from May 12th, which was Season 2, Episode 24. Several listeners wanted to know if we're going to get into the fact that the group was able to get into Victor's storage facility so easily, and they mentioned it because while I said we'd get into it, we really didn't. Another note about that same episode pointed out that while there had been guards by the building, since the synth courser took them out, why the two-hour-plus wait time for more security? Would it have not made more sense for the group to handle it? Probably, yes, and if your group chose to do that, good on them. I've also been asked multiple times when we're going to start really getting into that increased importance of Victor that I've been hinting at since before we started the second act. Um, Answer, I think we've sort of already started doing that, though it's a pretty slow burn. Over the next several episodes, I think it's going to start becoming a lot clearer. So, those are the notes, and with those covered, let's recap last week's build so we can get to building new stuff. The last build began right after the group and Victor returned to the third base saloon. After having been attacked, he was 50 kinds of mad, and he was working his way through his thoughts with the group. Ultimately, he decided that he believes Garson Tactical is being set up, and he also believes that Longsworth didn't do it, mostly because of the timing. The decision he made was to send the group to see Melanie Zombrowski to feel out whether or not she was involved, and in the meanwhile, Victor would dig up information on Jesse Arnott, the new player in the Barnabas O'Reilly world. They met with her, determined that she was not only not involved, but was also interested in meeting with Victor to discuss working together, and they agreed to inform him. They were then sent to discuss the situation with Jesse Arnott, who admitted that he not only had nothing to do with the attack, but intends to stay neutral as things continue on. They probably also found out he's a chem addict, which would explain why the reputation they'd heard about wasn't what they got. The group was present in the third base saloon for Victor's meeting with Zombrowski, and while they didn't hear any of it, Victor reported to them after the fact that Zombrowski has agreed, for the moment, to share information with Victor concerning any and everything they can come up with concerning who might want them all eliminated. And she also noted that there have been odd-looking people on the outskirts of the Lent Brewery, mostly at night. None of her people can get close enough to figure out who they are, so Victor volunteered the group to handle it. He did say he would pay each member of the group for doing this task, but he also noted that he wanted them on the job at 10 p.m. that very night. And that's where we pick up today's build. The group has a couple of hours to work out a game plan for how they want to handle the job. To help them in their planning, let's lay out the land here. The Lemp Brewery takes up a couple of city blocks, and since the group's been there before, they're aware that while the brewery itself has been rebuilt, most of the housing around it has not, and Interstate 55, which ran alongside the eastern end of the property, was so badly destroyed during the bombing, it's a complete wreck. So, they've got plenty of options for places to set up for observation. Victor didn't have any specifics to give the group, and with Melanie Zombrowski gone for the evening, the group can either approach the brewery and hope she's informed the security on site that they're there, or just take their chances. 
Victor will be willing to once again lend them the communication gear and night vision goggles, since they're doing a job for him at his request, so they can factor those into their plans. It would also be wise to have rifles of some type, since they may need to hit someone at distance. Stim packs would also be a smart addition to their packs, since they have no idea what they're getting into. So, as I said, the group's got plenty of time to get their plan together. Just remember, it's going to take them about an hour to get to the brewery. They need to be there at 10. The meeting ended, you know, just take your time into account here. Should be plenty of time to do everything. We are once again going to be kind to the group as they walk to the brewery and not have them hit any encounters. Once they get there, they can and should take their Overwatch positions. One thing you'll need to make sure is clear is how they're spreading themselves out because that's going to come into play shortly. Now, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail about the early part of the watch because that's really for you to lay out how you see fit. I will, however, give you a couple of things you can build off of. Nighttime in this part of the city is dark. I mean, heck, it can be that way now since it's just far enough away from downtown that other than some streetlights, there's not a lot of extra light from a ton of buildings. So in the fallout world, the lights would be coming from the brewery itself. So being on the edges of the brewery property means it's going to be quite dark and that allows for playing up creepy stuff. And we've been really clear throughout the build of this campaign that there are a lot of reasons to not be out on the streets after dark. And while the group might think themselves beyond that by this point, there should be enough distant gunfire and movement to have them turning their heads to make sure they're not going to get jumped. I mean, heck, if you really want to make this complicated, toss some feral ghouls at them. I wouldn't make it too tough, maybe one less than the total number of the group, but the fight would cause the group to have to get back together to deal with things, which would also allow you to mess with them some more. And for those who believe I enjoy messing with my group a bit too much, you may be on to something. I don't suggest doing it to be mean or cruel. I do it because it gets the group to have to consider more things than just the basics of what they've got planned. So maybe messing with them isn't the correct term to use. Challenging them might be a better term. Anyway, this will play through for a couple of hours, and the group will probably be getting bored. They'll see some movement from the brewery from time to time, but they can easily confirm that it's security conducting rounds. Theoretically, the group is far enough away to avoid being spotted, but this is yet another thing you can use to take the group's focus off of checking for outside threats. But it's also very possible your group won't take the bait, or at least not all of your group. Around 1 a.m., the group's patience is finally rewarded. However, we're going to make them earn it. Perception plus luck, difficulty 3. And we'll make an exception to the usual rule that only one person can assist. Since this is really important, we'll allow for two to assist. They notice a pair of two-person teams that appear to be scoping out the brewery, though they're at least 500 yards away, and they're using binoculars to do their scouting. From what the group can see, they're dressed in the same Garson tactical gear they've become accustomed to seeing. They also note laser rifles across their backs, waiting to be used if need be. Now, unless your group has a missile launcher or a fat boy, they won't be able to get close enough to engage without being seen. And the group might decide not to engage, but to follow. If they choose to engage, it'll be a running fight, and the synth Garson enemies will be at long range, so chances are good the group won't get a lot of good shots off. Plus, if there's a firefight, these individuals will basically lead the group on a chase around town until the players decide to back off. In other words, they'll have wasted an opportunity to get information on who or what is responsible for what's going on here. So before we cover that other option, let's address what happens if they go on this wild goose chase. 
They might eventually succeed at taking out the four they're chasing, but nothing on them will lead them to where they need to go. Though, now that I think about it, your group might decide to take a synth head with them because of the processor, so I guess there could still be a chance. That would require a trip to Victor, who will be a bit frustrated with them for engaging rather than following, but he can take the head to have it processed for information. Now, if they chase and come up completely empty-handed, their return to Victor won't be quite as positive because he'll be exceptionally annoyed with them for not following them to wherever they came from. So they're just going to have to come up with another way to figure things out, especially since they may have blown their chance to do so with the advantage of surprise. Now we're going to think on that for a bit while we go back and cover how it goes if our group decides to be smart about things and decides to not engage, but rather to tail them when they leave. So the four synths, I'm just going to call them that to keep it easier here, will work the perimeter of the brewery, scoping out the security, access points, and any other information that might be relevant if one were to, say, be interested in assaulting a fortified position. Not saying that's actually what's going to happen, but, well, you know, you never know, do you? They'll take about an hour to do their recon, then they'll head off to the west. The group can trail them, but since it's dark, and they'll want to get themselves back into some sort of group before they get too far off, they'll need to first make endurance plus survival checks, difficulty two, then difficulty three. The first one is to get everybody back together without messing things up, while the second one is to trail the synths. First rolls for everyone, the second is for the lead plus one assisting. They'll follow the synths west on Utah Street until it dead ends at Morgan Ford, in our world, it's a bar called Alpha Brewing Company. However, in the Fallout world, there's a number of small mom-and-pop-style businesses, or at least there were before the bombs dropped. Now? Well, now it looks like somebody fixed up several of the buildings because the sins knock on one of the doors, wait, then are allowed inside. The group has a location, but not a name. In fact, there are no signs on the building anywhere. So while they know where the synths went, they're still not 100% sure who they're dealing with. So they've got a couple of options here. Try to access the building and see what they're dealing with, or head back to Victor, report in, and see what he wants to do next. Look, I know how I want this to go, but I also know my group. So while I will write it up for the group to head back to Victor, I also feel the obligation to write up what happens if the group decides to approach and or enter the building, since I know my group is probably going to do that. So... Let's start with the getting into the building thing. The first thing the group's going to want to do is a bit of recon of the building on their own. However, they're going to be in for some big surprises when they do. First, there are machine gun turret MK3s every 10 feet across the rooftop, and they will start targeting and firing as soon as the group gets within 100 feet of the building. Now, they can see them, or at least a couple of them, well before they get that close, so long as they make their perception plus luck to difficulty check. This gives them the ability to either walk away or figure out how to deal with them. To access the door of the synth center, they'll need to take two turrets out. Stats are on page 378. But the group will probably decide they need to try another door, if there is one. Fortunately for them, there are two, one on the north side of the building and one on the south side. The entrance the synths used is on the east side. Same idea with the turrets, so nothing here really changes. Now, they're not going to get off that easy, though. First, they're going to need to pick the lock on the door, which is Perception plus Lockpick Difficulty 4. Once they've done that, there's an Assaultron robot waiting about 10 feet inside for anyone who's not authorized to be in the building. 
The stats are on pages 357 and 358. And be especially aware of the self-destruct feature as it will use it regardless of how much damage the building takes because of it. That self-destruct, if used, will draw on a group of synth striders, four to be exact, and their stats are on pages 375 and 376. However, once the group gets through all of this, they're free to check out the building. For a minute, anyway. Don't sweat the layout because it'll work based off the door they enter rather than some map I've drawn out. The room they were in is about 20 feet by 20 feet, and it's some sort of reception area slash office. There's a desk in there with a computer on it, as well as a copy of Tesla Science Magazine, specifically Will Robots Rule the World, which gives plus two to physical and energy damage resistances versus robots. It's on page 177 if you want to check my math here. There are also two doses of Day Tripper on the desk, and you can check the stats for that on page 165. There's also some shelves in the room, but they've got mostly junk items like old clocks, radios, and empty Nuka-Cola bottles. Heading through the doorway opposite the door they entered, they move into a 60-foot by 60-foot room that looks to be a production floor of some type, though the machinery is not familiar to most of the group. If you've got a ghoul that's at least 200 years old or a vault dweller of the same approximate age, they'll recognize the basics of it. It's the production floor for a newspaper. Specifically, the printing press is used. The group can even find a few copies of the St. Louis Globe Democrat from the morning the bombs dropped, though they are brittle to the touch. Again, if they're looking for junk to recycle for parts, there's a bunch of it around here, and they can come up with some circuitry, a bunch of aluminum and steel, wood, and asbestos. Industrial-sized adhesive cans are in here as well, so there's a lot of stuff available for them to take for upgrades, should they be interested in doing so. There's a set of metal stairs on two sides of the room, one heading up, the other one heading down. We're going to cover both of these, starting with up. The stairs end in a small entryway around 15 foot by 10 foot. From here, there are 20 by 20 offices taking up the entire floor with a 7 foot hallway between them. Each office is outfitted the same way, desk, chair, computer, filing cabinets, and a couple of shelves. The group can search these if they wish, but other than some basic items that can be used for upgrades, they don't find anything of value. Downstairs, however, is another thing entirely. The stairs lead directly to the basement, and this was obviously renovated by the current owners. And the group will quickly realize just how deep they've gotten into it because they come across a virtual army of synths. There are at least 30 of them sitting in chairs, and they notice the group as soon as they get down the stairs. Now, unless they've got something like a fat boy, the wise move would be to run, which if they choose to do so, they'll be allowed to do with a half-hearted chase by the synths. Oh, and they'll know it's synths because they're all wearing the Garson tactical gear they've seen on more than one occasion. They can head back out the way they came, and they'll eventually get back to either their hideout or Diamond Pass, whichever they choose to go to. Now, let's get to Victor's reactions and what happens next. Obviously, the reaction depends on the action, so let's start by wrapping up what we just built. We'll skip the getting into Victor's office thing because by now, the group can pretty much enter whenever they want. They'll give the report, and Victor doesn't seem overly shocked by it. He'll tell them that he's been getting more reports from others in the organization, and they've heard that there was an old building somewhere on the south side of downtown with a bunch of robots in it. While he wouldn't consider synths to be robots, he wonders if that location doesn't perhaps have some older generation synths in it without skin. Now that they have a location, they need to figure out who owns the building, and more importantly, who's giving the orders. 
Victor will note that that will take some time, so they'll need to be patient. And I'll get to what he's got in mind for them next in a moment. Let's roll the tape back and check how the interaction with Victor goes if the group didn't follow. You know, if they chased the synths and destroyed them or they got away. Victor's going to be, well, pissed. Sorry about the not-so-family-friendly word there, but there's no other accurate way to put it. He's not going to yell or scream, but it'll be very apparent he's not happy. He'll point out to the group that the entire idea behind having them at the brewery was to figure out where these people or things were coming from, and by not doing that, not only do they not know where they're coming from, they probably won't get a second chance, since the element of surprise is now gone. So he's going to have to meet with Melanie again to figure out the next course of action. In the meanwhile, he's got something else for them to do, and he strongly encourages them to not mess this up. What's the job? Well, we're going to get to that next week, and that's because it's taken me almost an entire week to come up with this, and I want to make sure the job is worthy of our group. So we're going to stop the build here. And yeah, I know the show's really short. I'm sorry. I was worried more about trying to get this particular part of the adventure done and make it quality, and I think I've managed to do that. Now, I do want to point out a couple of things in this week's episode that are different from things we've been doing to this point. You'll notice I put in another magazine for the group to get their hands on, as well as detailing items that are available to use for upgrades. Both of these come from listener suggestions, as it's been pointed out to me that our characters could really use some specifics in these sorts of items. So, moving forward, I intend to make sure we've got a lot more of this stuff available when looting. You will also notice I didn't script out everything Victor said. I think we're going to start doing that way more as I think you phrasing things the way you think it would work best is the way to go, especially since the whole idea here is for you to take the game we've designed and tailor it to your own style. Moving forward, I'll only script out Victor when I feel it needs to be said in a specific way. I don't know that I'll necessarily be doing that with our other characters, but if we've got a conversation going on and there's nothing scripted, it's going to be up to you to flavor it. And with that, we've come to the end of today's show. Next week, we'll get that job up and running, and we'll have a recap from my group's game that happens tomorrow night. In the meanwhile, check out our other fine podcast, Role-Playing History. This week, we hit the second part of our list dealing with the best published adventures for tabletop role-playing games. Role-Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials referenced on this show are the copyrighted and trademark properties of Modifius Entertainment Group through their license with Bethesda Games and are used on this show for entertainment purposes only. If you're interested in checking out any of the fine products produced by Modifius, check out their website, modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. On Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube and Tumblr, Bad GM Productions. You can email us, badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, the website is badgmproductions.net. Next week, we send our group out on another job while Victor tries to figure out the next move. And we get a recap of how my group has been working through what we've created. That's next week, though. Until then, I'm the bad GM Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table.